Welcome back, God lovers, to another episode of I Need God Pod, the podcast where we dive deep into the intersections of religion, spirituality, internet culture, and much more. It's me, God Lover Kyle, the admin for the Instagram page I Need God in Every Moment of My Life. And today I'm joined by the very talented Jin Kazama. Jin is not just an artist, but a sort of meme maestro, profound thinker, cultural pulse taker. And um, their work on Instagram strikes a really good balance between like reflection and profundity and humor and pop culture. Um, I recommend you go check out their Instagram right now so you kind of get the vibe. It's at Jin underscore Kazama. D-J-I-N-N underscore K-A-Z-A-M-A. In our chat today, we talk about Jin's experience growing up as a Muslim in the South in America as a first-generation American and their early introduction to the internet. We also talk about their perspective on sex work, drugs, fetishes, internet stuff, and of course... God and spirituality and all of that. So sit tight, maybe say a prayer and let's get into it. lovers welcome to another episode of i need god pod i'm god lover kyle and today i'm joined with jen kazama is that how you like to be referred to yeah i just people just call me jen now so (laughs) it's not your real name though it's not it's more like your artist's name it is when everyone calls me that in real life too so i see that's good have some like have another new name yeah, it's a good um, gender-neutral uh, name that's also spiritual. <laughs> yeah, it is. I was thinking, like, well, you're kind of... I feel like you're an amazing artist, almost like... A, not a performance artist per se, but, like, someone who uses their body and, like, is also, like, an intellectual in a sense, like, doing, like, living art in a sense, I feel like... And it's almost like you're a genie in a sense, like in a bottle. So gin, yes. gin makes sense a to genius, me. A genius, if you will. A genius, even. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I love your page. I love the work you make and the thoughts you have. And I was curious about, like, your internet history and how long you've been online and, like, how long you've been posting to IG. Is there any, like backstory to your internet use well i've had my instagram since 2012 my meme page it was Mm -hmm. made in there but i guess for like years it was just like a personal page i didn't use a lot yeah like i don't know i first like i got my own computer in my room when i was eight so this is like a while ago this (laughs) is in like 1998 Mm. oh we're the same age yeah, thirty three. The year Jesus died. Christ <laughs> died. <laughs> it's a good one. I feel like it's a good number. It is a good number. 
Or at least it's a transformative number. So, some mm. shit is going to happen. Mm. Yeah. So when I first ha- had my computer in my... I never had, like, monitored access to the internet. Mm-hmm. Which is bad, but... Mm-hmm. And back then, like, you couldn't, like, just go online. Because, like, if your mom or your dad wants to call people on the phone, the internet turned off and, like... Yeah. <laughs> I developed a bad habit that I still have today, which is staying up really late and being online for the whole night. Because I used to, like... Basically, I really wanted a computer and I wanted internet because I wanted to um, make anime fans. <laughs> oh my god! Well, that's like so that my origins sense. come from that, and yeah, and then like more so middle school and high school, I was in like a lot of forums based around like like pop stars or like mm. singers. I like. Oh my god! Like who? Like Courtney Love and Tori Amos. Mm, yes, I love that. Like, my first Stan era was really them. And I guess Gwen Stefani, too. Mm. But then I really started, towards the end of high school, I really started being into Nicki Minaj because that's when she first came out. Oh, yeah. And then also around the same time, Lady Gaga. So then I, like, shifted to those two. Mm-hmm. I'm so similar in a way. Like, I wrote an essay in fourth grade to, like, convince my parents to get the internet. And then, like, once we got it, it was, like, unmonitored. Yeah, it was just, like, going on Neopets mostly, I guess. But, like, I I just, same thing. Like, I'd be up at 3 a.m., like, in the basement. Basically, our, my computer was in the basement. It wasn't in my room. So I had to, like, go to the, like, be in the basement all night. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, the origin of the insult basement dweller. A lot of people back then's computers was in the basement. Yeah, I feel completely formed by that experience like in a way and it's like the internet used to be like separate from our regular life too so yeah. it's like they were there would be a computer tucked away in the corner in the basement totally and you just go there to go on the internet and then you leave the internet but now yeah and it wouldn't even be your name like you would go on the internet you would have a screen name you'd have like online friends it would be like a whole separate world yeah yeah that's something that's difficult for me right now because I'm just like, I need to put this phone down and I can't. <laughs> Same. So I think Apple owes us like millions of dollars in damages, basically. No, I really think they do. I think they do. And you know what? After high school, I stopped going on the internet that much. I didn't pay attention to the internet from like 2007 to like 2014. Okay. Because like, that's like my early 20s and I was like on drugs and like, you know, I had I got an iPhone three, but I was like I broke it. Like I just never had a phone. I mm. always was breaking my phone. My computer got pawned by some junkie, like, and I got a new computer and it broke. So I was like not on the internet for like a really long time. That's good. I mean, I was on there, but not really. But it was kind of bad because I wasn't doing nothing good in real life either. So yeah. I, I, was, I was doing bad stuff. I, I've just been straight on it the whole time, and I feel like I need, a break maybe would have been good, even if bad stuff happened. But you know what's good for me about that? I miss, like, the really big, popular, like, YouTube era, because people are like, what YouTubers do you watch? I don't watch no YouTubes. So, like, I don't watch YouTube. It's different now. No one, it's, YouTube is really different now. I mean, I still watch Trisha Paytas videos. Like, she has a new podcast on YouTube, and I watch her podcast. Yeah. But it's like she's kind of like a relic of old YouTube in a way. 
No, she is. Because I, I remember my friends were telling me stuff about Trisha Paytas. Now I'm like, isn't Trisha Paytas the really Christian girl? Uh, <laughs> mm, I mean, she does love Jesus. I mean, she's married to a Jewish man now. And she loves, but she I, loves yeah, religion. Yeah, but I remember in the beginning, in the beginning, people, I don't know, I'm, I think she, like, made a video about religion one time, and it went, like, really viral, because uh-huh. I don't even know who she was. Like, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I've been getting into YouTube lately. I've been, like, trying to watch video essays and stuff. I do that sometimes, like, as background. But, yeah. I don't like, I don't like watching video essays. I'm like, they need to make a text version of each video essay <laughs> and just so, so you can, can read. read yeah yeah i don't like watching stuff i like reading stuff <laughs> this is a problem i have in real life like i'm not good at verbal conversations that much because i like zone out and lose my train of thought a lot mm. so I, like, I have difficulty listening to people when they talk <laughs> so whenever that's why like i love texting people so much and like i like reading stuff Mm. because i can focus better i see i cannot focus watching or listening i don't listen to any podcast oh my god but i do like i subscribe to like uh sub stacks and stuff but i'm Mm. like oh podcast text-based image based not Mm. video not spoken word I i tried to have a tiktok and i think i was getting good at it i think i was getting good at it i think some of my for my original TikTok account, I think some of my stuff was funny, but my account got deleted. So there's oh my god, of course, only the good ones do. I saw that you were making TikToks and like posting them to Instagram, so it's like you're trying, you do try to like keep up, I guess, or like try the new thing. You're not afraid to try the new thing online or anything like that. When you're making post, I guess like pop culture inspires you. Like, what inspires you when you're posting? Like, how do you come up? Like, do you just have thoughts and instead of writing them down, you make an image? I write everything down first because sometimes I like, especially when I'm like high and I lose my train of thought, like after I smoke, I have to like go look in my notes again to see what I wrote down. And I'm sometimes just like, what, what, what does this mean? it's Mm -hmm. not a complete thought like my thoughts disappear so fast that i have to like document them immediately and usually i go back to them but like i forget stuff so easily so if i get like the urge to like Mm. write something i have to write it immediately so like you're you have ideas you get high you have ideas even when i'm not high you revisit them like it's it's worth when when i'm high high. but like when i'm not i just like i'm like oh my god (laughs) You still say it. You're still the same. I'm like, oh my god, guys! I came up with a funny meme last night, but I didn't write it down. And when you're getting, when you are inspired, does it just come to you? Like, does it just download into your mind, or kind of? Yeah. Do you see some an image? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I have an idea, but then I, it has to develop more. Like, I have a base idea, but mm. it's not like anything yet. I have to, like, nurse my ideas to good health. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it seems like you do. I mean, it comes across in your work that it's, like, like you care. <laughs> yeah, I do care. Not in a bad way. I don't know. Caring kind of sucks because it's embarrassing. And there's very high risk and little reward for caring. <laughs> That's true. But I guess it's generous of your spirit to do, to share without you know nothing with not getting much in return yeah. i guess because the whole thing was like cringe and stuff like i'm tired of like there are some people 
like that I get secondhand embarrassment from, but sometimes I have to be like, okay, but why do I feel this way? Because sometimes it's warranted, but other times it's not. I'm the same way. I'm I'm, I'm judgmental by act like over judgmental sometimes, and it's yeah, like, it's, I'm being mean to myself almost. Yeah, I'm like over judgmental, but then I have to like just dial it back. I have to literally like dismantle it <laughs> piece by piece uh-huh. to feel comfortable <laughs> to say something. But I don't know. More people should do that. I think they don't. I feel like people don't do that a lot. Yeah, they're embarrassed of like their own like inner life. So if somebody else expresses theirs, they just get super like uncomfortable, call people cringe. It's just an effect of being online. I think how everyone's online and like we're reading stuff that you're not even trying to read it. Like it just happened. You just all this all these people's ideas are getting into your eyes like. And you're bound to come across something that makes you feel like you didn't want to see that or like, why are they saying that? Yeah, somebody will post, somebody I don't know will post something deeply personal or show up on my feed. I'm like, um, who agreed for me to see this? I don't, I don't know who agreed to this. Yeah, it's not, it's not natural. No. The new thing is anti-shame activism. That's what I'm going to rebrand an anti-shame activist. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the world will be more free when people stop being embarrassed all the time. I agree. I need an anti-shame activist. Maybe, maybe I need like a co- like life coach anti-shame activist because I was like raised Catholic. Uh, and I just feel like I have to fight it. You know what I mean? Where it's like I have to free myself, but it's taking a while. Whereas you're so free, it seems. No, I slide back into like that type of suffering so often. <laughs> you were raised Muslim, right? Yes, I was. And that's another reason why I was online so much. My parents are like, okay, good. They're going to be on the computer all day and they're not going to go do bad stuff outside like drugs and dating. Mm. And like, you know, I didn't do any of that. But I was like, I don't know. My parents just thought it was better to stay inside all day. Yeah. Would you, were you like raised in a Muslim community? Were there like other Muslims where you were born and raised? Were yeah. You... Mm-hmm. So that's good. At least you weren't like isolated in your. But I was kind of isolated in something. the community because I was weird. Like there was not a, there wasn't a lot of weird people back then. Because like being weird is considered being like American or being considered white. So like anything I liked mm. or like if whenever I said weird stuff, people were like, "Why are you being acting white?" Why are you trying mm. to are like, why are you saying that? You're trying to be American. And I'm like, I try to explain to my parents, like, you can't put people in America and then be mad at them for being American. Like, I mean, that's what I was just thinking. Like, your, your parents were not born in America then. Yeah, and it's really weird. A lot of people will tell me stuff like how immigrants who moved here in, like, the 80s and 90s are, like, strict and still, like, believe in, like, old values of like where they're from but mm-hmm. people there are progressing so my my parents were like recalling a you know pre-1990s like type of set of like values from their country but people in their country were already like progressing faster than them because they're like stuck trying to be like you know mm. that's interesting because they were kind of cut off yeah yeah they're trying to be connected huh. to their culture. But the thing is, their culture is like rapidly like changing at all times. My parents are like stuck with this like stuck in old time. version of their culture. Yeah. That's crazy. 
because I'll talk to my cousins. I'll be thinking my cousins in Pakistan are like my parents, their beliefs. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to not like me, but they're just like really cool. I see. So your parents are like a little more conservative than you are. <laughs> yeah, but it's like weird because my parents, I guess, have liberal beliefs. Okay. Liberal beliefs are kind of conservative now. Yeah, I don't know. The only thing like my parents, like my parents seemed like socially progressive in ways like outside of the family and in their, in their beliefs. But like mm-hmm. they're still the main thing with them is like they were like homophobic. Like they didn't understand gay stuff at all. Mm, I see. So it's like your queerness is like a mystery, a mystery to them, basically. Or like, yeah, they're like, understand. what? They're like, this is I, I just remember my mom said something. Like, I think the Kardashians were on TV and my mom was like, ew, I hate the Kardashians. And I'm like, why do you hate the Kardashians? My mom's like, their dad is gay. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. In terms of like Muslimanity and stuff, then were you try like when you were raised, did you have to like go through the holidays and like learn about the religion and stuff? Or were your parents more like? yeah about it or well the thing is my parents whenever they would see somebody wearing like a like hijab or like covering up all the way my mom would be like they're like really deep muslim that's like they're that's too much (laughs) oh i see she's like you have to be the right amount yeah my mom is like be muslim but don't be weird and her idea of being weird is like covering your whole head or something i don't know like mm, like standing out too much i guess yeah. Like 9-11 happened and did that affect your family at all? Um, Honestly, not directly. I used to hear about like anti-Muslim like attacks and like hate crimes all the time, but they never happened where I live, where I grew up. And where I grew up, there's like no white people there. So. Okay. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up a little bit south of Atlanta. Okay and yeah that's like the highest black population i think yeah and the area i lived in like there was even more asian people than white people Uh, like my my school had 30 white kids total out of like over a thousand out of how many like 1200 yeah my school had like three black kids and like two asian girls yeah very white i used to get so confused when i would watch tv like before school i would watch saved by the bell and i'm like that's not how real life is (laughs) yeah that makes sense like school is not a bunch of white people there's only a few white people at school this doesn't make any sense totally (laughs) that's that's interesting i mean that's interesting that's like an interesting perspective i feel like so you didn't you never really felt like unsafe for being muslim or being pakistani or anything like that it just felt normal which is seems good yeah like my apartment complex i grew up in was like mostly indian and pakistani people there was like some vietnamese people and some like jamaican people but yeah, and it's like there was a lot of mu- different Muslim people that lived in that area, like of all different like ethnic backgrounds. So nobody really cared that much. The only thing I thing I can think of is there had to have been some type of immigration bills passed in the wake of nine eleven, like federal ones that like local officials mm. probably utilized to get people deported. Because I started noticing people get deported a lot after that, oh, and not just I'm sure. Not, not just people from muslim countries like where i lived like a lot of vietnamese people were getting deported a lot of indian people were getting deported like at one point 
it felt like half my like neighborhood got deported. It was maybe like three families and a lot of families, like a lot of the kids and their moms could stay, but their dads would get deported. That's so sad. Oh my God. Yeah. But it was weird. Cause like whenever people would get into like disputes and stuff, they would be like, okay, you need to leave my family alone. or I'm going to call immigration on you. Oh my God. Cause I remember this boy. Yeah. This boy in my neighborhood, he's like, really annoying he used to bother me and my brother all the time and he had an older brother who was like undocumented he's like 16 and we were like 11 but i remember his older brother like chased us back to our apartment and was trying to beat us up and like oh my god and then like we locked the door and our dad like opened it a little bit and was like what do you want and he was he was like move let me in let me in my dad was like no i'm gonna call immigration on you if you don't go home (laughs) so he had to leave But it was like Damn. like tense. Like a lot of people were really scared. And it's bad now. Like the ICE facilities in Georgia are horrible. My friend's sister was like locked up in one for like over a year. And there's even oh a, there's a Vice documentary where they interview her. But she's an immigrant from Kenya and she's like schizophrenic. And she always was getting in trouble for little weird stuff all the time. I think like she she used to fight cops a lot but she was she was in an ice facility in georgia for like a year and when she got out um she was included in the vice documentary because her and some other women were like the whistleblowers that were like hey they're doing like non-consensual operations on people here and people are becoming infertile wow yeah it was there's some darkness for sure no it's really crazy like the ice facility here's are bad i mean everywhere they are but like there's yeah i I don't know there's a lot going on in georgia right now with like police and cop city the cops here are very openly corrupt in a way that's like is very blatant and it's like nobody can do shit about it (laughs) yeah they what could you do about it like their power is they could only grow power like it never gets taken away there's no way they get defunded or that cop city is what's is in georgia yes it's near, near atlanta it's like a hot topic yeah no it is and i've been learning about a lot of stuff uh that i didn't know about because um my brother has been having issues being incarcerated a lot i didn't know what civil mm-hmm. forfeiture was what is that um basically when you get arrested like they can they take all the money you have on you or like oh or any money in your home if your house gets raided and they can keep it and the thing is a lot of them steal here and i've met so many people like even when they get into a car accident cops steal the money out of their car and pocket it but generally if it's a a gang yeah it's if it's a large sum of money they keep it and the thing is like in Georgia, you can't get your money back. I mean, you can try, but like they can keep your money even if you don't get convicted of a crime. And and most states are like that. There, I believe there's only 12 states that like allow people to get their money back if they don't get convicted. Wow. This sucks. America's obviously like not great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Atlanta is it's really scary because Atlanta is kind of like a place people go to like flee persecution in the south like a lot of um queer people in like smaller like southern towns and a lot of black mm. people in smaller southern towns 
come here for like safety and community, but it's actually mm. fucked up because those communities are extremely over policed in Atlanta. Like the Atlanta right. police are blatantly homophobic. Like it's really weird. Nasty. Yeah, I've been finding out a lot of stuff that's not common knowledge here. Like how they let this crazy guy who was like a millionaire lawyer whose father was like a big like figure in the the police community um basically he's he's like a self homophobic gay man who was attacking gay sex workers in the park and setting them on fire and oh my he god and he did this for 3 decades until the police were forced to arrest him because the um Atlanta Journal Constitution leaked his name cuz he married his employee this woman and he's a he's like a multimillionaire lawyer so he married this woman i guess to like distract from the fact that he was like attacking gay people and that he himself is gay but she was suing him for spousal support and i believe she got like $50,000 from him because several gay sex workers in Atlanta spoke at her divorce trial saying like cuz he had the nickname the handcuff man cuz he would drug people and oh put them in handcuffs and set them on fire um that so, is crazy for 3 decades yeah like, yeah that's how bad it is oh my god yeah so basically like the his wife got the, all this money from him because they got like a few gay sex workers to testify at her trial and say that he was the handcuff man and then his name got leaked to the press, so the police were forced to arrest him. <laughs> they Jesus weren't going. Christ. Like they would, they weren't going to. No. Like, yeah. and that's it was bad back bad. then. Not only is like the stigma of being gay, but being a sex worker. That's why a lot of people didn't come forward back then. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, do you want to talk about sex work at all, or do you feel like? it's relevant to the conversation i feel like i mean you see yeah, we can. it seems like you have like an only fans or at least or like yeah <laughs> but... you know what's funny when people message me on there and ask me what's my job and i'm like this is my only job guys yeah i don't have any other job <laughs> right now i mean it's it, it's a good job for people who like don't want to have a job but it is a hard job i understand yeah it's hard especially like like the mo- I feel like the business model for OnlyFans is like, you know, you can as long as you keep getting new followers, you'll always have new subscribers. But in the case of somebody who's severely shadow banned, <laughs> mm. like I have to appeal to the same people like, come back, everybody, come on. <laughs> <sighs> it's like not in your control because you have to use the platform and like the whatever the platform says, they could like make or break you basically, right? Yeah, because, like, I'm seeing this with everyone. Like, you remember that meme that people used to post, like, a half-naked girl can get a million likes. How many can our troops get? I'm like, a half-naked <laughs> yes. girl cannot barely break a thousand likes these days. Like, <laughs> So true. And just like that, you've made it to the end of our free episode. If you'd like to listen to the rest of the conversation, the full thing is available on our Patreon at patreon.com slash I need God. For $5, you can unlock this episode and all our other episodes and get into our Discord. So um, if you love this project, if you love this podcast, if you love I Need God in every moment of my life, 
We would super appreciate your support at Patreon. There's also a $1 tier if you'd just like to contribute something to show your appreciation. And um, if you'd like to join at our $9 tier, you'll become an angel. And there are even more benefits to that, including getting your name read as part of our prayer list at the end of every episode. So if you will, please just close your eyes and let us pray for our angels. Allison White, Carson Reeves, Casey, Dakota Garcia, Jenna, Neve Parker, Nikki, Nicole, and Tyler Hill. For them, Lord, hear our prayer. This episode was kindly edited by David Sutran.